But then at the other side, and this goes to the problem that, that we're solving, not the problem with the business, but the problem we're really solving is that these surgeons are humans. They live lives. They're 80 hour work weeks, their lives kind of suck. One of the highest divorce rates of any type of uh, occupation that you can imagine because the work life sucks so much. Uh, what we're trying to do is to bring a little bit of, of a good quality of life back to them. The tools that we all have, we take for granted, they don't have. If they need to look up something very quickly, they can't do it because they're sterile and all their interfaces are non-sterile. Awesome Inc. presents the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame, a show that highlights how people throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky pursue their definition of awesome through entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. Hey everyone, I wanted to hop on here quickly and give you a little intro before we head over to the interview. We're sitting down with Jake from Toggle Health and they are the newest applicant to our fellowship. So Toggle Health was founded in 2016 and they are a breakthrough in surgeon computer interaction. So what this means is they are a tech company that is trying to deliver breakthrough surgical user experience within the operating room so they can keep surgeons sterile throughout the process. There's no need to take off gloves, wash hands, check your tech, your papers, whatever. They're trying to do everything then and there so they can make surgery more efficient. Well, hey guys, thanks for listening in today. Today is a treat as always when we have a new fellowship company coming through our space and sitting down to talk with them. Today, I am with Keith McMahon, who is looking dangerous in all black, and with our newest fellowship company, Drumroll. I'm not going to add in. Oh, that's good. I like that, Jake. Yep. Jake. I can beatbox, too. I like no, it. No, I can't. Jake, uh, with, with Toggle Health out of Louisville, Kentucky. Jake, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you're drinking, and then also talk about what Toggle Health does. This is the blueberry rooibos uh, tea. It's decaf from uh, Cup of Commonwealth. One of the benefits of being an awesome make now is that Cup of Commonwealth is just a walk down the street, so I can get some good drinks. That's true. They have a lot of my money over there Do in they? their cash yeah. register, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so uh, Toggle Health, we connect surgeons to their digital data when they're scrubbed in and operating. Uh, believe it or not, uh, most surgeons, you know, they make a lot of money, and uh, uh, they have some of the best technology that you can imagine in their personal lives. They come into the working space, and the interfaces look like they're from the 1990s. Uh, it's older equipment, it's disparate equipment. Um, they have the majority of their knowledge on their cell phone or on their mobile devices, their laptops. Uh, we've created a sterile device that connects them to all of that. So in the same way that most of us are digital natives nowadays, we keep a part of our brain on our mobile device. Surgeons are the same thing. So we're, uh, we're reestablishing connection to the brain so that they can perform better surgeries. Now, Jake, how did you how did you know that this problem existed? Have you spent a lot of time in in surgery as on the table or holding the holding the scalpel? You know, I was mentoring the original inventor of the device, and I got very interested in the company. So that's when I started Toggle Health. And at a certain point, I was uh, leading the company, and I realized I hadn't been behind the line enough. I hadn't been in many surgeries, and I was having trouble as a med device guy now, as a med device company of getting into the actual ORs because there's so many of these big companies constantly sort of 
harassing the the docks to get in and, and experience the OR and sell into them. And I was just wanting to be an observer and learn more. Uh, so I got a brochure from my undergraduate uh, college, Bellarmine University in Louisville. It was one of those continuing education things where it says, hey, learn wine tasting, learn Microsoft Word, uh, travel with us, et cetera. And in the middle, it had this entire section about continuing education for nurses. Turns out in Kentucky and Indiana, most nurses don't get much training in the OR space. They get it before and they get it after, but they spend about a day when they get their, their RN within the OR. So within Kentucky and Indiana, they had these additional certificate courses. And it was in the brochure, it said no prerequisites, and I even got a 10% discount because I'm an alum. So I signed up for it and they didn't kick me out. I was the only non-nurse in the class. And I was able to do 32 hours of, of direct surgical observation. And I learned a lot. At that point, we were moving the company in one direction. Based on my observations, we immediately stopped, we pivoted, and we made a, a pretty major change. And that's partially where the name Toggle came from. Uh, we realized that we needed to toggle between the various users within the operating room, not just the surgeon themselves. Uh, so yeah, I spent quite a bit of time now in various ORs doing observation. Jake, when when did you know that you wanted to be entrepreneurial? I mean, when you're when you're looking in brochures at class offerings that you can get ten percent off. I mean, did you know that you wanted to go into that and and solve a problem, or what was what was the future in your mind? Yeah, I knew it pretty early on, actually. But then I was in a state of denial. I was, you know, society kind of feeds to you that you you gotta you gotta do well in school, you gotta get an A, and that sort of pervasive thought process. I was a very good student. You, know, you go into your first company and then you earn your way up the ladder and then you go to your next company, et cetera. Uh, when I was starting, my dad and my grandfather were serial entrepreneurs. My, my grandfather is kind of a, someone out of a Hemingway novel. Uh, he started off had a blacksmithing business on the side and then he had a gunsmithing business, which the remnants were still around when I was a kid. And then finally he had a large beekeeping business that my dad and my, my grandpa did on the weekends. They had hives in three different states, Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee. So I started working, uh, extracting honey uh, when I was about 10. And I worked every summer in, uh, down in his basement extracting honey. It was a pretty, pretty big business. So I, I saw the entrepreneurial world early. It was more of a lifestyle business, but it, I was very interested. And then one of my very first gigs, I was in college. I got an internship and uh, ended up going, and I was the number three employee with a beverage development company. I was a chemist at the time, and I did that for a while, and I, I was kind of hooked. And I saw what was going on, but then at the same point, it was a startup. I needed to start making some money. I was going to get married soon and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I started going the corporate path. And then what I did was uh, I realized I was beating my head against the wall in these big bureaucratic organizations. I worked for Target and Walgreens and Humana. And uh, I, I realized that I needed to be in the innovation space within those those organizations. But even then, it's it's very different. It's uh, to be a entrepreneur is uh, probably one of the most painful experiences I think you could have. Uh, and so I uh, came to Louisville. I got an offer from Humana. I was leading a brand new clinical initiative and they went through a merger uh, or the announced merger with Aetna. And I looked around, I was like, man, I've been through one or two of these before. I don't want to do it again. I'm going to take a leap and go out on my own. And I wanted to stay in Louisville, Kentucky. All the big corporate gigs were elsewhere. And so for me, I really had to create my own thing in order to stay put. And uh, it was a very good thing for me. 
what was it that finally sent you over the edge that you decided to, you took the leap out of the bureaucratic setting and, and into the innovation space? So right before Humana, I was at Walgreens and I was uh, one of the leaders of their product development and innovation team. And it was my dream job. I probably never would have left that job. Uh, we created and worked with some of the best technologies on the planet. And in fact, uh, some of my peers were working with Theranos, if you guys have heard of that uh, Elizabeth Holmes story. Uh, so I got to see all that from the inside. So coolest job ever, and we were highly impactful. 8,000 pharmacies, 400 clinic, retail clinics, 300 on-site clinics, and all that was kind of my playground. And then they announced a major merger, and they killed all the new stuff that we've been working two years on. CVS acquired a bunch of the folks, but um, yeah, I was like, man, that's kind of crazy. Well, that happened. And then I came to Humana, I worked for two years on a brand new clinical initiative had 70-person cross-functional team working on it, four months away from breaking ground on two 12,000-square-foot facilities, and we had launched insurance products to the market to support these clinics. I had to pull it all back because of the Aetna thing. I'm like, okay, this just happened twice in a row. Maybe the universe is sending me a signal to get my butt out there. And what you realize at the end of the day is that, yeah, there's a, there's a study or salary with corporate America, and there's some cool stuff, and you can have an uh, interesting amount of impact. But it, it's probably just about as risky as the startup world at the end of the day. And once I had that realization and once I, I, I shift my fear perspective from the fear of failing to the fear of never trying, um, I was able to take the leap. The fear of never trying thing really bugged me. I started talking to some more senior members, uh, senior mentors. They're like, man, you don't want to be like me looking back and not have tried it. I'm like, okay, got to do this. And I wanted my kids to see me doing it. That's the other thing. Yeah. I wanted them to be able to take the, the shot. Man, shot that, and goal. That's powerful. The fear of never trying and, and having mentors that maybe even have experienced that. Yeah. Is that so you, you knew people? Well, he, uh, the, the one gentleman in particular, one of my mentors from Walgreens, uh, great guy, uh, Dr. Jay Rosen, uh, he had pretty much said, hey, you know, you see this gray stuff on the side of my hair? Uh, you know, start now. Go ahead and do it. You're ready. And, uh, yeah, I took his advice. So you, uh, you got into startup territory pre-marriage. You decided to get married and, yeah. ha and have kids yes. as, as a founder of the startup. Um, what was that like? You know, at that point, I could take a lot more risks. The kids were, were younger. It, it was different. I, the big risk was, I almost cussed, sorry. You probably can't beep this out. Hey, so. You're good. You, okay. you do you. <laughs> Anyways, I was like, shit, what am I doing? No, it's my, my kids were a lot older, and, um, and then I took the leap. That was nutty. You know, I, was, I, um, I had enough resources, though, at that point, and I was also comfortable enough with my skill set and um, what I was good at to know that I could take the leap and, and still do it, even though I had kids and whatnot. One of the brilliant things about doing this in Kentucky is low cost of living. You can get uh, talent, resources. I, I never would have been able to bootstrap this long if hadn't been in Louisville. If I'd been in East Coast, West Coast, where I lived prior to coming back to Louisville, it would have, uh, yeah, it, this would not have been possible. One of the first things I had to test, though, in Louisville was, was the talent available to build a company like this. And so that's one of the very first things I did. How, uh, how has Kentucky, so we believe in that too. We believe that uh, the Midwest, Kentucky in particular, is going to be um, a place that's really found to be desirable to start a startup, uh, driven a lot by cost of living and opportunities um, to build your life in addition to your startup. Uh, how, has, how has Kentucky changed in the last 
I don't know, five to 10 years that you've seen? Yeah. So I, I did when I was going the big corporate route, I went and got my MBA down at Vanderbilt focused on healthcare. I had my third kid while I was in the MBA program. So I had to get a gig, moved up to Philly and I was in pharmaceutical marketing services. I always tell people I was selling drugs that people didn't really need and I was very good at it. Uh, and then, uh, that's when I got the call from target corporation to start up their retail clinics. And, uh, they liked the fact that I'd worked in beverage and had consumer packaged goods background. So I went to Minneapolis and we lived up there for seven years. And then finally we, in a surprise move, went back to Philly for the, uh, for the Walgreens gig. So I've been in a, a number of large cities, et cetera, but I was gone about 13 years and now I've been back in Kentucky for five uh, and I saw, I saw some pretty dramatic changes. I'd say the, the biggest change, the biggest benefit to me was peace of mind on my daily commute. Believe it or not, uh, I was up in Philly. I lived 35 minutes away from my work. It would sometimes take me an hour to 35 or two hours and 35 minutes. Didn't know what was happening. Like People were a little more aggressive, I think, because you cram them in so tight. And they're commuting over an hour each day. That one change for me coming back to Louisville and uh, this area, Lexington, uh, was huge. And then the livability of the city, the the amount of talented people that were coming back into the city. Some because they're following spouses, some because uh, you know they're they're kind of senescing their careers and they want a really livable place. But what I found is a lot of the talented folks that could just work remotely, you know, instead of working in Silicon Valley. They've done that for a couple of years. Now they want to go to a place where they can have the quality of life that they want. So the restaurants, the 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 cool art scene, uh, the really walkable, livable cities. It, one of my, I had a scorecard when I came back. I wanted to make sure there were halfway decent radio stations. I needed to be able to bike to work because if I don't embed fitness into my everyday routine, it doesn't happen. And so all these things came together and coalesced and. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington. I love Lexington. Every time I come see you guys, I explore the city a little bit. Uh, very livable cities, and so really important to me. Uh, man, I love I love that. So, um, man, and I drive with so much of that. I caught myself the other day complaining to somebody that my commute took 14 minutes <laughs> as, as opposed to the usual 11 minutes. That is so crazy. And, and I caught myself, uh, so I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and oh, yeah. I've, I've experienced, uh, more traffic. Pittsburgh's not terrible. Um, Pittsburgh's grown a lot, developed yeah. a lot recently. Oh, yeah. Is everybody in automated cars now? You hear about that because yeah. they're big Uber, robotics. Uber's right? got such a presence up there now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to complain about a 14 minute commute. Yeah. It's nutty. Right. And, and prior to that, so uh, my wife and I lived about a 22 minute commute and which is still so spoiled. Uh, but when you do the math on how much time I'm not spending in the car, but instead I'm either spending it with my family or at work. Oh, exactly. I mean, do the math over the yeah. course of months or years. And um, yeah, it's definitely in favor of the startup. world. Yeah. So we were very much able to design our lives the way we wanted them to be. And we knew this, there would be stressors with starting up a company and uh, having everything else really solid really helped. And having family nearby uh, was really a, a blessing as well. Keith, I'm going to take your thunder. Well, first off, I was here when he complained about the 14-minute commute. <laughs> and we all laughed at him. Man. But, uh, Jake, when you said people are Hard life. are wanting to move exactly uh, move from Silicon Valley, Keith, you didn't throw in your punchline. Hey, the Valley is losing its sex appeal. I was waiting for you to say that, but you didn't. It is losing its sex appeal. Um 
Yeah, you're right. I should have said it. Sorry. Okay, all is forgiven. Uh, Jake, so I, I just want to interject there because there's yeah, some really interesting please. stories. I, I was uh, when I was leaving Humana, I was getting recruited by a healthcare startup out there. That it, it was funny. It was like an ex Google person that was creating this health health app, and they realized uh, very late into it. I think they'd already spent like five million dollars on total development that uh, regular people don't buy healthcare. Like people are used to paying a copay and insurance pays for healthcare or businesses pay for healthcare. And so they were trying to figure out how to radically change their product to now start selling to businesses. And they were recruiting guys like me that had some experience with that. And in the midst of this, I'm talking to the recruiter and I'm getting kind of interested. And it's at some point she, we built up a, a, a relationship. We, we were friendly and she goes, you know, I just want to tell you this before you get too deep. You probably don't want to live here. <laughs> like the recruiter That's was telling me that and I'm like this How is honest this is nutty and then i talked to i was just down in mass challenge i was down in austin texas uh last uh summer with a business accelerator and we got to see all these great companies and one of them was a y combinator company in that in that last cohort and they were telling me about the kind of slightly deranged homeless people chasing them down the street needles everywhere it, it was it was a little bit surreal and i, I was like man that that's not uh, that's not conducive to a good work life experience. Yeah. To have that. What was your involvement with Mass Challenge? Did you go through it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, we were the first cohort with Mass Challenge Texas. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mass Challenge is one of the top accelerators actually on the planet. They're in Israel, over in Europe. They have a bunch of sites here, but they got started in Boston, hence you know Massachusetts uh, Challenge. Uh, and so yeah, I went down there, took uh, two of my engineers. We we got a house together. Uh, me and a couple 26 year olds, my wife thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but we were down there for four months and experienced the whole thing. So we were there with about 80 other uh, companies and it was a fantastic experience. Austin, incredible experience. I was talking to, uh, Steve Huey, a local entrepreneur when I, uh, when I came back and I was telling him all the cool things, he's like, man, it sounds like you visited the future. <laughs> and it was a little bit like the future because at that point, everyone's seen those electric scooters. Well, for South by Southwest, I, I forget the exact timing if it was before or after I was down there. They brought in like 12,000 of those scooters just so everybody could zip around. It, it was like something out of the Jetsons or Man, something. Let me, and let me just point out. So we were in Austin uh, a week and a half ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and oh, wait a second. I saw a post. Did you go to Capital Factory? We went to Capital Factory. Those guys, and, and those go guys figure. do a nice job. Yeah. Oh, Capital Factory is so impressive. Um, but go figure. We missed Mass Challenge's uh, pitch. Oh, demo, demo day. day. Yeah, it was just by one days day. ago. Yeah. Um, actually, we we had to depart. Our flight was the morning of Mass Challenge's demo day. Um, otherwise, it's a big to do because they give out. I think it's five hundred thousand in prizes. Um, yeah. Amongst I think ten different That's groups. Wild. But man, South by Southwest definitely left the scooters there. Nobody ever came to pick all the excess scooters up. I swear, because if you visit Austin. They're just everywhere. There's a scooter tripping over. every six inches, I swear. But you know, when it's, uh, I, I was one of those guys, I'm like, scooters, that's stupid. And then it was the end of the summer, right? It was August and it was 110 degrees in the shade there. Very humid. A lot of people don't know that about Austin. And you have to walk to or get to a meeting six blocks down the road. Well, most Ubers and Lyfts won't pick you up for that short of a distance. So I started taking these scooters because otherwise I'd be a sweaty mess. And I got to where I loved them. And then I came back to Louisville, and at that point, we didn't have any. I'm like, what do I do? I, I became a scooter addict. So. Well, we just got ours in Lexington, and we're, we're not as excited because we've had some. But, yeah, for the city, it's going to be cool to see the change. I've ridden them a, 
probably a couple hundred times now for different short distances. The I am the nerd now that if I have my bike helmet with me, I do wear it because I had an accident one time. Uh, yeah, it could have been bad. A lot of those scooters are in slight disrepair because they weren't built for uh, constant use. They were built for individual use. So I just totally be careful if you get on the scooters, people. Uh, don't uh, don't take any sharp curves like yeah, I Yeah, you're going to fly off. Yeah. Well, hey, Jake, I wanted to, to say two quick things. Number one, you are very well-spoken, and this is this oh, is nice. Thanks. You're welcome. And number two, I uh, want to talk a little bit more about toggle health and kind of pivot back to that. Yeah. Just because I'm actually – there's a few things I'm curious about. Uh, number one, what is your, your personal background? You've talked a lot about the opportunities you've had, but maybe in terms of the medical field and like being in the OR rooms – or even around a hospital? What's the scene in your experience there? And then number two, what is the main problem you are still wrestling with as of today? Yeah. If, uh, you, if you're a cool show. Yeah, that. so my healthcare background is pretty diverse. Um, uh, between my, my work at Target with the clinics, and then I was one of six people leading the, the $3.8 billion pharmacy business. So I did that work. Uh, so I've worked both on the clinic side, both on the front end of the business and the very exciting revenue cycle portion where there's contracting and credentialing and all that. And I did that both for retail pharmacy and for retail clinics. And then went on, I was part of that innovation team at Walgreens and we, we did some kick butt stuff. So we created a clinical trial at retail capabilities. So we were working with pharma closely there. Uh, you know, my peers were looking at all the, the wearables and all the, the apps and whatnot that could be used. Um, so got to work, in, in all that different technology. And then post that at Humana, I got to work on the insurance side and actually work with the product teams there to create insurance products in, adi in addition to working with the wellness team. So I worked in almost every part of healthcare that you can think of with the exception of the OR. So where, where does my startup go? <laughs> I yeah. like steep learning curves. I, I love so, that. I love that. And I was a little bit, I had a little bit of hubris because I had done some really hard things in healthcare and been working in it in, in 10 years at that point. Um, and then, uh, I was like, I know a lot of stuff and this can really help me build my business, which it did, but there's still a ton to learn in my space. So, uh, for me, that was, I love steep learning curves. I was a little bit shocked by how steep it remained. Uh, the, the OR hospital space is a very special place. I'm glad that I've had this, this education cause I feel like I've, I've, I've uh, closed the circle now in terms of my knowledge in healthcare and I could pretty much do any business within the healthcare space at this point. Um, so I feel like it's good, but man, was that learning curve much deeper. But it, here's the thing though, once you start doing these, I, I, I was probably meant in another life to be a surgeon. Um, I've just been so amazed by the miracles that these guys create. I, I saw a couple of uh, surgeries where uh, face cancers were taken out of someone. And one of the plastic surgeons I've worked closely with, he put this gentleman's face back together. It was just an amazing thing happening over at the University of Kentucky Hospital. Um, there are some amazing, amazing things. But then at the other side, and this goes to the problem that, that we're solving, not the problem with the business, but the problem we're really solving is that these surgeons are humans. They live lives. They're 80 hour work weeks, their lives kind of suck. One of the highest divorce rates of any type of uh, occupation that you can imagine because the work life sucks so much. Uh, what we're trying to do is to bring a little bit of, of a good quality of life back to them. The tools that we all have, we take for granted. 
they don't have. If they need to look up something very quickly, they can't do it because they're sterile and all their interfaces are non-sterile. They have to ask a nurse or someone else to do it for them. And guess what? That nurse who's in the room also has a bunch of other jobs to do. So he or she is, is not as able to help the surgeon. Our goal is to reconnect all this and put the, the control of the operating room back into the surgeon's hands. Uh, go ahead. Keith. I was just yeah. gonna no, please continue if you. I was gonna no, say no, go what on. an amazing please. mission and uh, yeah, it's a cool and, thing because yeah. just imagine we're not doing the surgeries, but these guys are miracle workers. If we could even make them like one percent better, uh, and we think we can uh, increase productivity as much as ten percent with some of the solutions we're putting in place. If we could do that, they could either do more surgeries, do better surgeries. All of a sudden, the finances for their practice or for their hospital are running better so they could do more things for the individuals that they serve. Uh, that, that's our mission. Uh, what's really interesting, uh, because you know, doing a startup, you guys know you're constantly recruiting. Like you're looking for talent, you're trying to find the right people. I've been shocked by the people that have personal stories that, hey, this guy's a really good Android developer, we're trying to get him in. Well, turns out as a 10 year old, he had a brain tumor and it was operative and he was able to survive. And he believes in our mission and he wants to consider working with us. You know, or the person whose aunt just went through something. We all have people that have been through these items. You don't want to go to the hospital. Hospitals are great places for really sick people. You don't want to be there, but when you're there, you want you want the best type of care. And we're trying to empower that. Amazing. Well, Jake, I appreciate you uh, you taking the time to share your story. Um, how about quick little hits of wisdom? Yep. What, what's what's some general startup advice that you've learned the hard way that you could encourage some other folks not to learn the hard way? Dude, that's such a good question. What would be the one that I would say? Start your investor conversations earlier. I, coming from corporate and doing product development in corporate for so long, it's all about de-risking the the proposition for bureaucrats because these like companies like uh, Target it had 385,000 employees while I was there. It was a big bureaucratic thing, uh, and you have to approach uh, with your ideas a little bit tighter uh, in order to move forward. I would encourage all entrepreneurs, even at the idea stage, to start the conversations now. Um, there's a guy, Mark uh, Suster Suster. Uh, he always talks about uh, getting your investors in line. It's a line, not a dot. Uh, you need multiple of these touch points lined up. They want to hear early. They want to be engaged. Just set up a coffee. Learn how to do informational interviews. I have an entire formula for how to do this. Uh, you know, you always ask for advice, not money. And uh, you know, <laughs> and you you're giving you, away our secrets. You go in and you just sit down and you be open and honest. And if they're not receptive to it, they're not going to be your investor. And you need to start figuring out who these folks are early because they have to be a little bit crazy to invest at you at the early stages. Right. Yeah, they have to be a little nuts. They have to be a little bit of a dreamer. And if they feel like if they have the endowment effect, if they feel like they've invested a little bit into this and they can help you grow and they vet you a little bit you're a much lower risk to them and they're willing to, to support you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to feel comfortable answering this question, but the last time, <laughs> Go ahead. the last time we spoke, you used a term that I've used, uh, uh several times since, and that was startup porn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Can you, so can you explain that for our listeners? Absolutely. So if you're like me, you want to research the hell out of stuff before you get started. You know, you're buying a new house. How do you buy houses? You go and you Google it, you're buying a new car. You know, nowadays you can just download some on YouTube. It's like jacking into the matrix, right? You can all of a sudden you know how to do judo or, or judo or jujitsu. 
um, you know, so I'm doing all this research and there's a lot of stuff that come out of some great groups like Y Combinator. There's all these accelerators. There's a bunch of people online, every single VC on the planet. If you could follow them on Twitter because it's how they communicate. But there's a lot of out of context information that's out there, especially for guys that are building companies in the Midwest or doing specific types of companies that aren't SaaS based or uh, subscription based software businesses. And so it comes down to the fact that you can read this stuff, but it may not be entirely within context or good advice for you. And yeah, it's startup porn, man. It's uh, you go on there and it, it's exciting and you're reading it and it's about it's super thin and it's not the real stuff. And it, I'd say one of the biggest challenges for any founder of a startup is getting contextualized information. And here's my here's the one big learning I had. So this was the mass challenge learning because I had a ton of mentors out there and some of them were ex big company guys like me. Right. You discount anybody who has not started shit from scratch. You discount their advice by about 90 percent. Still take it because yeah. as entrepreneurs, you get disparate advice. You're going to talk to a bunch of people. You're going to get disparate information telling you the exact opposite thing. And one of your jobs is to have profound judgment and to decide which way you're going to go and rapidly test that. And if you're wrong, move back the other way. Uh, but the guys that come to you from big corporate who've never done it before, haven't taken a risk, even me, who was a number three employee in a startup, I did not have the full context of the weight on your shoulder of what being a founder is. Discount it 90%. I'm probably... Um, it probably needs to be 99%. But if you haven't started shift from scratch, know that when you give advice to these startups that they need to be discounting you. And startups know that you need to be you need to be running the discount. Yeah, man, that's powerful. Well, Jake, I appreciate it, man. This hey, is, this is fun. This is awesome. Yeah, so this is good. Thanks, guys. We'll do it again. Um, but uh, yeah, just sign us off here with um, what... what uh, if our listeners are interested more in Toggle Health, how can they learn about Toggle Health? Yeah, um, we've been a little yeah. bit stealthy in the past, so we don't have a lot that's out there. You check out our website. And it's pretty much just a calling card where you can email us for info. So we're going to be uh, having more of a coming out uh, relatively soon. If everything goes well with our product development, we're hoping to be on the market in about six months. Uh, and we're going to be working very concertedly on our, our uh, message that's going out to the larger public uh, across that time. But feel free to reach out to me if you guys have any interest in Toggle. I'm Jake at ToggleHealth.com. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to find us. We do have some presence on on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. You can find us there too. But uh, I'd say just reach out to me directly. Jake, I will reach out to you directly. Thanks, but hey, again, thanks so much. <laughs> now let's go have some lunch. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thank you all. All right. Well, that's it. We want to say thank you again so much for checking out the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame podcast. Special thanks to Lee Rosevere for the music that you hear in the show and to Lexington's Awesome Inc. for hosting us from their space. Again, I'm Garrett Farbach. Make sure to check back and tune in next time. We'll see you then.